afternoon, America, and welcome to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen, and you are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. We're getting closer to Christmas. December 21st, It's uh, you can feel it, can't you? Can't you just feel the excitement of it? Oh, I just, uh, just, it's just such a great season, no matter where you live in America, whether you're getting snow or not getting snow. I mean, I live in Michigan, and normally... You know, we have Christmases that are white. There's a little bit of white out there, uh, you know, but it's it's starting to melt and we're probably not going to have it white, you know, on Christmas, which, you know, I'm okay with. I think I think it's all right every now and again to have a non-white Christmas, perfectly green Christmas with some sunshine out there. Absolutely love it. And I, I think just the next couple of days as we wrap up this week, I think we're just going to take a pause, you know, from some of the stuff that we've been talking about. We're going to stop talking about, uh, you know, satanic after school clubs. You know, we're going to stop talking about President Gay and and the woke universities and and some of the tragedies that are that are taking place across the educational land, landscape in America. We're just going to take a pause. We'll get back at it. I mean, we're not going to stop the fight. We're going to keep the fight going, but we are just going to take a pause for a couple of days, maybe get into a little bit of history, uh, maybe just get into some Christmas time stuff. Um, you know, I just, I just think that's going to be great, and that's that's how I want to end the week. Actually, it's how we're going to end the year because next week we will have best of shows. We're gonna, we're gonna, uh, the the network is going to offer best of shows. And then the uh, uh, AmericaOutloud.news is going to go through some revamping. So when we come back at the new year, uh, there's there's going to be some 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 new changes, some some new things afoot, new things unfolding, and we're excited about 2024. We're excited about what lies ahead. So next week, some best of shows. And I'm, you know, I'm not sure what those best of shows are going to be. I'm going to have to listen. So I, I know what the, uh, what the producers think are, are the, uh, the best of 2023. We'll see. We'll get to the bottom of that. But, um, it, you know, so we're just going to end the, this year just talking about good things. Just talking about, um, you know, for example, for example, today, December 21st, it's an anniversary. And it's not an anniversary that, you know, we celebrate a lot. Uh, But 1620, on December 21st, 1620, the first landing party of pilgrims came ashore in Massachusetts at the place they named Plymouth. Now, we, you know, we don't recognize this day a lot. Um, You know, they they rolled into the harbor earlier in in November, I think the 11th, I I think November 11th. (laughs) You know, but they're on that boat for a few weeks. And finally, the captain said, look, uh, you guys got to get off. I mean, if you're going to go to shore, let, let's just go to shore. Okay, let's make it happen. You know, and they 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 they, they put together, they draft the, the, the what becomes known as the Mayflower Compact, which really is the foundation of self-government in America. Now, I know there were, you know, there was a, a colony already established at Jamestown. But it's the Plymouth colony that really creates this whole idea in America of 
of people that have the ability to govern themselves. You know, before they get off the ship, they they draft this agreement and they say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna be held accountable to one another. And you know, we've got this historical document that is really the foundation of of this experiment here in America, this 200-year-old experiment. I mean, obviously longer, you know, if we're going all the way back to 1620. Um, you know, but this this day where they get off the boat and they come ashore in Massachusetts, this is our foundation. Uh, you know, tradition says that as they came ashore, the pilgrims set foot on a granite boulder called Plymouth Rock. Uh, and this rock is now a famous symbol of resolution and faith. One of these days, I need to go visit Plymouth Rock. Nearly a century and a half later, John Adams wrote his dissertation on the canon and feudal law. And in that dissertation, he urges his countrymen not to forget the trials that the early American colonists faced as they came to America. And he's, you know, talking about the pilgrims. Here's what he says. Let us read and recollect and impress upon our souls the views and ends of our forefathers in exchanging their native country for a dreary and hospitable wilderness. Recollect their amazing fortitude, their bitter sufferings, the hunger, the nakedness, the cold with which they patiently endured the severe labors of clearing their grounds, building their houses, raising their provisions amidst dangers from wild beasts and savage men before they had time or money or materials for commerce. Recollect the civil and religious principles and hopes and expectations which constantly supported and carried them through all hardships and patience and resignation. Let us recollect it was liberty, the hope of liberty, for themselves and us and ours, which conquered all discouragements, dangers, and trials. Liberty was the foundation. It was liberty and the hope of liberty. Not only liberty for themselves, but liberty for future generations. This is why they did it. Uh, you know, and... We talked the other day that liberty is really just more than freedom. Uh, I mean, it's it, it it's freedom ultimately from from tyranny. It's not the freedom to do whatever you want. It's it's specifically freedom from this overbearing, overreaching oppression, and that's what these guys were after. That's what the pilgrims were after, and that's what. Uh, Madison and, and Washington and the founders were after when we get to 1776, when we get to the 1770s. These guys are after that liberty. The, the very reason that the pilgrims came here to, to, to escape this overreaching, you know, we talked about this, you know, the, the week of Thanksgiving. We, we went into history class that week and we spent, uh, yeah, we spent time just diving into why they were coming here. They were escaping this uh, royal oppression, literally a royal oppression. The monarch had their thumb 
on these individuals and just said, you know, you're going to do it our way. You're going to worship the way we want you to worship. You're going to attend the Anglican church. By golly, if you don't, <laughs> we're coming after you. We are going to punish you. We're going to imprison you. Some of you were even going to light on fire while you're tied to a stick. Uh, I mean, think about that. They wanted liberty. They want to. They wanted to experience civil and religious liberty. You know. So here we are in the 1700s, uh, and there's this great uh, Christmas Day story, 1776. You know where Washington crosses the Delaware. It's just fantastic, and it's you know it's just an appropriate time to uh, to tell it, right? Uh, it was the fall and the winter of 1776. You know, I'm looking at I'm looking at historical articles. Um, you know, I'm looking at you know I just want to 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 give you citation information if you want if you want to explore this information. You know, I, I look quite often at the American Patriots Almanac. Uh, that's Bennett and Crib. Um, I've got some articles here by uh, Travis Shaw. I've got articles and books here by uh, William J. Federer. Just some good stuff. Of course, the people at Wall Builders, David Barton. Uh, you know, if you want to explore this information, you know, what we're going to dive into today and just enjoy it. I encourage you to, to look it up, research it, you know, go after it on your own. Uh, the fall and winter of 1776 was the low point of the war for the American cause. I mean, here it, it you know, it, it really just started and we're, we've already hit the low point. They've come off that, that amazing siege at, at Boston the previous year where they sent uh, General Howe and the, and the British running from Boston. And, and here they are the next year, the fall and winter. And they've hit a low point. Of course, that summer, the British had uh, struck out with a vengeance in, in, in this attempt to end the American rebellion and really one knockout blow at, at, at New York. Uh, in July, over 20,000 British and German soldiers landed on Staten Island in preparation to capture the vital port of New York. When the attacks finally began, following month, Washington and the Continental Army were nearly powerless to stop them. And then Washington pushed off Long Island on August 27th, and his whole army, you know, barely avoiding capture uh, through that miraculous night evacuation to Manhattan. You know, we, we've we talked about that. Uh, we, we've spent some time talking about the hand of providence on that evacuation, how the fog just descended, uh, just at the right moment, you know, so the, and it really descended over both camps, over the British and the Americans, neither camp could see what was going on. Um, that uh, storm that swept in, which kept Howe's boats from coming up and cutting off Washington on the rear, that storm had, had died down and the fog came down with it, giving Washington cover to get his men off the island and across the river. Uh, just amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, you know, here in, in August, uh, you know, Washington writes a letter to Connecticut Governor Jonathan Trumbull, and he's asking for reinforcements. It's a plea for reinforcements. 
he's lost some some men in that uh, battle for Long Island. And here's what Trumbull replies. This is this is part of uh, Trumbull's reply. He says, "In this day of calamity, to trust altogether to the justice of our cause without our utmost exertion would be tempting providence. March on. This shall be your warrant." Play the man for God and for the cities of our God. May the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, be your captain, your leader, your conductor, and your savior. That was Trumbull's reply. Uh, you know, he didn't have men to give him. It would have been great had he had men. He didn't have men to give him. Uh, you know, but he had something a little better than just men. He had words of encouragement, and I don't know that it gets any better than saying, may the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, be your captain, be your leader, be your conductor, and your savior. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, so Washington escapes the island, uh, you know, under the cover of fog and darkness, but the British did not relent. On September 15th, they landed nearly unopposed on Manhattan and secured New York City. They just took it. Uh, the city would remain in British possession till the end of the war. And this, this was upsetting to Washington. He went to New York on purpose because he wanted to keep them from taking the city. Uh, in the weeks and months that followed, Washington's army suffered defeat after defeat after defeat at the hands of of General Howe's British and German forces. I mean, Howe just gave it to him. And Washington is just on the retreat. American defenses were outflanked by British landings in what is now the Bronx on October 18th, forcing Washington to pull northward to avoid encirclement. He's about to be encircled and destroyed. Howe caught up with Washington 10 days later at the Battle of White Plains, October 28th driving Washington further from New York and the remaining continental troops there. So he's kind of um, severing Washington from his men. Uh, Howe continues to push Washington back in retreat, but but Howe just doesn't stop there. He turns back to deal with, with the, uh, the, the cutoff garrisons and decisively defeats the Americans at none other than Fort Washington. The fort named after their commander and how turns around, goes back to, to Fort Washington, defeats the American forces there and captures nearly 3,000 men. How demoralizing. How uh, just, what a just a massive series of defeats. I mean, Washington's just getting hammered and hammered and hammered. And then to add insult to injury, how turns around, goes back to the fort named after you. Fort Washington, conquers it, defeats the troops there, and captures almost 3,000 men. I mean, he's he's hurting. Washington's army, which had numbered nearly 20,000 in late summer, was reduced to less than 5,000 effective soldiers, you know, because of, of ca casualties, uh, death, men being captured. And in large amount, we've got desertions. You know, there's men that are just feeling defeated. They're just, um, they're, 
they're giving up the ghost. They're they're just uh, you know, they're just taking defeat after defeat after defeat. Uh, recognizing that Washington's situation was dire, General Howe continued to push onward into New Jersey. The Continental Army remained elusive. This is something Washington was good at. He was on retreat, and uh, you know he was tough to catch. Washington pushed his exhausted and demoralized men across New Jersey to deny Howe the opportunity for one final decisive battle. This is all Howe needed. He just needed one battle just to put the nail in the coffin and end this thing. I mean, Howe had the talent. He had the skill. He had the, the trained professional soldiers. He had the capability. This was the most powerful force, military force on the planet at the time. And, and you know, Howe's capable. He's smart. He knows what's going on. He just needs one battle. That's it. One decisive battle. The American commander's goal, however, Washington's goal was to cross the Delaware River to the relative safety of Pennsylvania and from there try to rekindle the American cause. That's just all he wanted to do is if I could just get across the Delaware, just get me into Pennsylvania where I can just kind of, you know, maybe hunker down for the winter because that's what they did. They would hunker down for the winter and they then, you know, they would just let everybody regroup. And this is all Washington needs. I can just hunker down. If I can just get across the Delaware and, and find safety in Pennsylvania and regroup the forces. All right. And he does that. He gets across the Delaware. And we will pick up the story of uh, Christmas Day Eve and what happens on the other side of this break. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Hey everyone, Nurse Kimberly Overton here from Nurses Out Loud. Over time, our cell signaling molecules diminished, leaving us vulnerable to the wear and tear of life. With the Sea of Redox, you can restore and revitalize your body at the cellular level. This is an incredible product that I personally use and can attest to seeing fantastic results, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. ASEA supports your immune system, enhancing your body's natural ability to repair itself. It promotes overall well-being so that you can experience a new level of vitality and resilience. It's time to take control of your health and experience the power of ASEA. Visit our online store today at americaoutloud.shop and use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15%. Be sure to tune in to Nurses Out Loud Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. 
Welcome back to The Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, We're just having some, uh, I don't know, we're going to wrap the year up with some Christmas fun. And, you know, in my opinion, there's no better Christmas Day story than Washington crossing the Delaware. It's just just one of the best. It is absolutely just one of the best. So I'm going to dive back into it because... Uh, you know, I, me in history class, it just tends to go long. And I want to get to the end of it. I don't want to stretch this over two days because there's there's more history to, to, to get into tomorrow. All right. So uh, we know that the American army is demoralized. Uh, you know, Washington just wants to uh, cross the Delaware and get into the relative safety of Pennsylvania, where he can maybe rekindle the American cause uh, because people are deserting. Uh, he's His army has dwindled in just a, a mere matter of a few months from 20,000 to less than five. Uh, you know, talk about demoralizing. Uh, you know, he, he's down to 25%. In his book, 1776, here is what David McCullough has to say about it. Heavy rains had left the narrow roads slopy with mud, and the men were in tatters, many without shoes, their feet wrapped in rags. Washington rode at the rear of the column, a point long remembered by a newly arrived 18-year-old Virginia lieutenant named James Monroe. I saw him, Monroe said, at the head of a small band, or rather in its rear, for he was always near the enemy and his countenance and manner made an impression on me, which I can never efface. By young Monroe's estimate, Washington had at most 3,000 men, yet his expression gave no sign of worry. Monroe said, a deportment so firm, so dignified, but yet so modest and composed, I have never seen in any other person. This made an, an impression on Monroe. Yet men were still leaving. However, there was somebody in uh, Washington's army who remained, a 39-year-old English immigrant by the name of Thomas Paine. Although Paine personally abhorred war, he gradually began to see tyranny as a worse evil. Despised war, but he realized tyranny was worse. Thomas Paine had become a household name in both the colonies in Great Britain earlier in the year. In January of 1776, we're we're December now, but in January, he had published Common Sense. And within a few months, over 100,000 copies of the pamphlet had been printed and distributed. Its strength lay in Paine's ability to discuss complex and important events in terms that the average person could readily understand. Paine saw the American Revolution as just the beginning of a worldwide struggle against oppression for the rights of the average man. Again, kids, this is this whole idea of, of self-government where, where people would govern themselves, this is brand new. This whole Declaration of Independence thing where uh, all men were created equal, and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. This is new stuff. And, you know, 
Payne sees this as the beginning of this worldwide struggle against oppression and for the rights of the average man. And so later in 1776, Payne joins the army as a staff officer for General Nathaniel Green. Uh, as he moved to the army camp, soldiers referred to him by his nickname, Common Sense. Hey, there goes Common Sense. They adored him. Uh, he uh, wrote dispatches to the uh, to the Pennsylvania magazine, where, which he he had served there as an at an as an editor, and the men just loved him. So here we are, late November, early December, seventeen seventy six. This is the Continental Army's darkest hour. And Payne again picks up the pen with hope of recreating the enormous success of common sense, and he does. It was necessary, he later wrote, that the country should be strongly animated. And, and he was able to animate it with his pen. The wrecked army crawled across New Hampshire. Payne took advantage of every stop to put words to paper. He often wrote late into the evenings by the flickering light of a campfire, as exhausted soldiers slept huddled nearby. As Washington's army crossed the Delaware River into Pennsylvania for safety, Payne put the finishing touches on his latest pamphlet entitled The American Crisis Number One. It was first published in Philadelphia on December 19th. American Crisis Number One was an appeal to the patriotism and resolution of the American people. Now remember, uh, it is men are deserting. Um, you know, Congress really ultimately is in, in in shambles. There's a there's a spot here in um, David McCullough's book where he says uh, before departing for Baltimore, Congress had named Robert Morris to head the committee to look after affairs in Philadelphia. By now, almost abandoned. Yeah, you know, Congress was like, all right, this this is getting pretty close to home. We're going somewhere else. Writing to Morris three days before Christmas, Washington said he thought the enemy was waiting for two events only before marching on Philadelphia. Ice for passage and the dissolution of the poor remains of our debilitated army. Washington knew it. He knew the army was wiped out. He knew they were debilitated. He knew the numbers. He, he saw morale. Robert Morris and others in and around Philadelphia were doing everything possible to find winter clothes and blankets, while more and more of the local citizenry were signing the British proclamation. Congress had fled. Two former members of Congress, Joseph Galloway and Andrew Allen, had gone over to the enemy. They just deserted, and they were like, uh-uh, we, we can't do this. By all reasonable signs, the war was over, and the Americans had lost. Here we are, um, you know, these guys are, you know, for all intents and purposes, bailing out. But here comes Thomas Paine, and he writes The American Crisis, and he is appealing to people, hey, don't desert, don't give up hope. And, of course, you know, he opens it up with these famous lines, quote, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. I mean, how great is that? You losers, you cowards that are 
that are bailing on us now, you summer soldiers and sunshine patriots shrinking from the service of your country. I mean, that's um, that's that's a pretty strong slap in the face. He continues, tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. And with that, um, he roused the army. The words electrified the demoralized army. Those words became the rallying cry that Payne had hoped for and that Washington had hoped for. Within a day, copies were printed and distributed throughout the Continental Army. Washington, you know, George Washington's, you know, he's like, okay, everyone's got to read this. Everybody, you know, sit down, get in a circle of men. You know, everybody pick up a copy of this. We're reading it. Uh, Continental Army officers read it to their assembled men. A militiamen who had returned home in disgust just a month before came back to the to the fold. They took up arms once again. Once they saw what Payne had said and they realized they were cowards, they came back. Civilians up and down the Delaware River reaffirmed their commitment to the cause of independence. People were giving up the cause. They were like, it's hopeless. I mean, what were we thinking? Really, did we actually think we could go against the most powerful army on the planet? And all of a sudden, just a few words, and people are like, yeah, let's go. Let's get in there. Let's get this thing done. Desertions among the Continental slowed down, and soldiers quoted the crisis in their watchwords while on picket duty. And then on the night of December 25th, as Washington prepared to make a strike on Trenton, he ordered that Payne's words be read to the entire army as a reminder of the importance of their task. Uh-huh. Yeah. He said, come on. All right. We're going to read this one more time, fellas. Let's go. Let's uh, let's get in there. Let's read it. Uh, you know, something, um, something happened. Something quite miraculous happened on December 13th. And uh, McCullough talks about it in his book. He says, on December 13th, at his Trenton headquarters across the river from Washington, William Howe made one of the fateful decisions of the war. He was suspending further military operations until spring. And this was Washington's opportunity. Beginning immediately, he had his army, or he and his army would retire to winter quarters in northern New Jersey and New York. To secure the ground gained in the campaign, he would establish a string of outposts in New Jersey. There had been a change in the weather. The days had turned much colder and the nights were the coldest yet with a hard frost and snow flurries. And this was all General Howe needed to make up his mind. The weather, he wrote, having become too severe to keep the field. This is too cold, fellas. It was commonly understood that 18th century professional armies and their gentlemen commanders did not subject themselves to the miseries of winter campaigns unless they were over unless they were overriding reasons to the contrary. 
Considering all he had accomplished in the year's campaign and knowing the helpless state of the rebel army, General Howe saw, saw no reason to continue to fight or to remain a day longer than necessary in a punishing American winter in a place like Trenton. So he packed up. He's packing up. And while he's packing up, Washington sees his opportunity. Washington's like, hmm, all right, okay. I see what's happening here. And he um, he gathers his men uh, on December 21st. Uh, he meets in uh, General Green's headquarters to plan out this attack. And he says, um, uh, how, how do our supplies look? And the men are like, not good. All right. How's our food rush? It's not good. Uh, boats? Do we have? Bo nope. Nope. We got nothing, General. We got nothing. He says, all right, get me Robert Morris. Somebody get me Robert Morris. Let's get some supplies in here. Of course, you know, we know that Morris was working around the clock. He, uh, Morris, you know, for the most part, personally financed the army. Uh, and, and then, of course, he would go out and he would secure loans from other you know, big name money players, and he would do it on his own word, on his own credit, and he would say, "Look, I will pay you back." Uh, you know, Morris ended up going broke ultimately, but everything that he had, everything he owned, he gave to this cause. Um, from Bristol, Pennsylvania, it's a small town on the western side of the Delaware. It's downstream from from Trenton, and this is where. Uh, Joseph Reed is camped. He's helping to organize the Pennsylvania militia. And on December 22nd, he writes this letter to Washington, unsolicited. He says, will it not be possible, my dear general, for our troops or such part of them as can act with advantage to make a diversion or something more at or about Trenton? You know, these guys are all realizing the same thing. Look, how is left Trenton? Let's go after it. And this is what Washington's thinking already. I mean, the day before, he's meeting with Green and his generals. Uh, and they're they're planning this attack across the Delaware. Uh, you know, and so Washington then, you know, responds to, to Reed in, in a letter. Uh, you know, he says, yes, we're doing this. We're going to attack uh, Trenton. Uh, Washington says, for heaven's sake, keep this to yourself as discovery of it may prove fatal to us, you know, but, but we have to justify the attempt. Necessity, he said, justifies the attempt. We have to do this, but keep it hush-hush. Um, you know, he knew that the uh, British were, were paying spies in gold, and if the British got wind of this, uh, you know, Washington's feeble forces would be crushed. I mean, this was it. This was his his one shot, and he knew that this is all you know. All that General Howe wanted was just a chance to just drop the hammer, and he only needed one golden opportunity to drop the hammer on Washington and on his, you know, at this point his feeble forces. I mean, from twenty to, to dip below five thousand, uh, you know, and the men are giving their own estimates. You know, we we heard. James, a young 18-year-old James Monroe, who would later become president, his estimate was you know, maybe 3,000. We maybe have 3,000. But he, but he looked and he, he notices Washington. He notices his determination. He's like, I'm staying at it. 
I am absolutely staying at this. And so, uh, you know, on Christmas Eve, Washington called a meeting at Green's headquarters to go over the final details. The army was to attack across the Delaware in three places. A force of 1,000 from the Pennsylvania militia, which uh, Joseph Reed was heading up. And then uh, a second, they, they were to cross downriver. And then a second smaller force of 700 of the Pennsylvania militia under General Ewing was to attack directly across the river at Trenton and um, hold a, a bridge there so there could not be any escape. So Reed's men, uh, they were they were to d- offer this diversion. It was, you know, they were to, you know, get the army to, to look that direction. And then Ewing's men was to secure the bridge. Well, Washington's troops came from the rear, you know, the, 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 the ultimate fighting force to just drop the hammer. All right, this is the plan. But on Christmas Day, the weather turns ominous. Bump, bump, bump. So here they are, Christmas Eve. They're they're planning this strategy. You know, they've got these uh, three, um, you know, attacking forces. One is a diversion. One is to secure a bridge, so the uh, Germans can't escape. And then Washington's group is just to come in and just annihilate them. And you know, they've got this strategy. They've got it planned out. They're going to leave at midnight. Uh, on Christmas Day night, midnight, and then they're gonna they're gonna get uh, they're gonna get to Trenton by 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 six a.m., which is an hour before sunrise, and just this surprise attack. But it doesn't really work out that way. But you know, when does anything ever work out the way we plan? All right, we'll pick up the uh, the ending of this Christmas Day tale on the other side of this break. You're listening to the Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD for 25% off. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It works. Go to AmericaOutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. 
Welcome back to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio, and we are talking about maybe perhaps uh, outside of the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day. At least that's the day we celebrate. Outside of the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day, maybe one of the best Christmas Day stories of all time. I think of all time. We are talking about the crossing of the Delaware. Uh, It didn't actually happen on Christmas Day. It was planned for Christmas Day evening. Uh, And, you know, but we just call it, you know, Christmas Day. It's just so great. It is. Let's get back to it. On Christmas Eve, Washington, of course, called a meeting, General Greene's headquarters, when they went over their plan of attack. Uh, They were going to cross the Delaware at three places. A force of uh, Pennsylvania militia, was to cross downriver. A smaller force of the militia, about 700, was to cross a directly uh, uh, across from Trenton, and they were going to hold that bridge. All right, They were supposed to um, defend the bridge so no Germans could escape. Then, of course, the third and the largest force of 2,400 of the army led by Washington and Green, uh, they were going to come from the south. And they um, uh, and they were just going to, you know, lay the hammer. Uh, it, you know, one force was going to be a diversion. Uh, the other force was going to block the bridge. And then Washington's force was to be the hammer. Uh, once over the river, Washington's army would head south. Then halfway to Trenton, they would divide into two columns. Uh, and according to the latest intelligence, uh, there were probably they thought maybe about 3,000 Germans at Trenton. The first step, the crossing, was set for midnight, December 25th, Christmas night. By marching through the night, Washington's two columns were to arrive at Trenton no later than 5 o'clock in the morning. I think I had said 6 earlier, no later than 5. And then uh, the attack was set for 6 o'clock. And that would have been an hour before daylight. Um, Christmas Day, however, the weather turned ominous. A northeast storm was gathering and the river was up and filled with broken sheets of ice. Um, Benjamin Rush, uh, who was uh, a member of Congress, had made his way out to camp. And years later, he he recalled in a private meeting with Washington uh, that Uh, that, you know, before they crossed, that Washington seemed much depressed. In affecting terms, Rush said, he described the state of the army. As they talked, Washington kept writing something with his pen on small pieces of paper. When one of them fell to the floor, it landed by Rush's foot, and Benjamin Rush noticed the words that were written on it. It said, victory or death. And this was to be the, the password for the night victory or death. Now, Washington knew if they did not achieve victory here, that it was over. The men uh, were were already demoralized. Um, you know, Payne's words had, had put some umph back into the army. But if they lost this, if there was not victory at Trenton, it was over. It was going to ultimately crush them. Henry Knox was to organize and direct the crossing at the biggest and most difficult uh, area 
Uh, and, you know, he knew this was the biggest task and it was assigned to him. He had a big booming voice uh, and, he, and he had to use that voice to, you know, because the, the, the storm's coming in, you know, the people have to hear him. He's the one directing traffic here. Before leaving his headquarters to lead the march, uh, Washington, in what seems to have been a state of perfect calm, writes this letter to Robert Morris. And he says, I agree with you that it is in vain to ruminate upon or even reflect upon the authors of our present misfortunes. He says, I'm not interested in casting blame. Yep, things are bleak, uh, you know, but... Um, I'm not going to reflect on the authors of these present misfortunes. I'm not going to blame anybody. We're here. He says, we should rather exert ourselves and look forward with hopes that some lucky chance may yet turn up in our favor. And this was Washington's attitude. He was like, I'm not going to dwell on my current situation. I'm going to look to the future. I've got a plan and I'm going to go after it. I'm going to execute this plan. I'm going to execute it to victory. These are the lessons right here. If we're right here. These are the lessons that history teaches us. Ah, that's why it's so good. So good. It was nearly dark and raining when the first troops reached McConkie's Ferry. That's where they're crossing the Delaware. Uh, Henry Knox, un his unmistakable voice, big booming voice could be heard bellowing orders above the rising wind. According to one account, it had, had it not been for the powerful lungs and extraordinary exertions of Knox, the crossing that night would have failed. Uh, Washington uh, crossed early. He was he was on one of the first boats to get over, and he watched the slow process from the New Jersey side. About eleven o'clock, the storm struck, and a full blown nor northeastern just came crashing in upon the men crossing the Delaware. Among the most vivid firsthand accounts of the night was that of John Greenwood, who was a young fifer from Boston. Here's what he said in his journal. He's just 16 years old, by the way. Um, he says, over the river, we went uh, in on a, a flat bottom boat and we had to wait for the rest. And so began to pull down fences and make fires to warm ourselves for the storm was increasing rapidly. After a while, it rained, hailed, snowed, and froze. And at the same time, blew a perfect hurricane, so much so that I perfectly recollect, after putting the rails on to burn, the wind and fire would cut them in two in a moment. When I turned my face to the fire, my back would be freezing. However, by turning myself round and round, I kept myself from perishing. Uh, you know, so these guys that cross the river, you know, they, they've got to wait for everybody else. So, you know, they find whatever they can find to, to make fires. Uh, according to Washington's writings, it was three o'clock, three hours behind schedule before the last of the troops, horses and cannon finally made it across the, the river. Downstream, however, Washington had no way of knowing the other part of his plan was failing badly. General Ewing had called off his attack on Trenton because of ice in the river. So he was he was going to lead the 700 uh, to fortify that bridge so the Germans couldn't escape. But the, the ice was too high. He didn't make it across. Uh, further down where uh, Joseph Reed was to cross, 
and his group was to create a diversion, uh, he didn't get across either. Uh, they were unable to uh, move their their cannons, uh, and and they they had to, to halt the attack. So there was no diversion, and there was no uh, blocking off that bridge for escape. Uh, unable to uh, recross the ice with their horses, um, Reed and another officer just stayed on the New Jersey side. Uh, but once Washington got his men across, uh, you know, for the first half mile or so, uh, the dark road from the ferry was a steep uphill climb. And then after another two miles, the road dropped into uh, a ravine. So these men are making this this, you know, Washington's men, they're making this this treacherous march into Trenton. As a matter of fact, during the march, two men froze to death. I mean, just walking. It, it was that cold. You know, their their feet are wrapped, they're leaving blood trails, and and they're trying to to march as quietly as possible because they don't know if they're passing Tories or not. M- matter of fact, you know. Uh, well, I'll get to that story in a second. I mean, a, a Tory does get a message into Trenton, but it's ignored. So they're trying to stay quiet. They don't know if they're passing uh, Tories or not. Now, on their way past a house, this dog starts barking and it wakes up the owner. And he comes out. And he says, oh, he's all sleepy and groggy. What, what's going on here? And of course, you know, they tell him, hey, we're marching on Trenton. And if you're a loyalist, we're going to put you down. <laughs> he's like, no, I'm not. I'm with you guys. And as a matter of fact, he's a physician, Dr. Riker. He said, I'm, I'm a doctor. I'm going to come with you in case you need me. And it just so happens that they would need him because James Monroe, who was to be a, you know, the future president, we later learn. James Monroe is one of the, the, the few Americans who are wounded. He gets shot in the chest and uh, an artery on on you know, next to his heart is is pierced, and it's Doctor Riker that sticks his finger in the in the in the bullet wound to to cramp the artery, and basically saves James Monroe's life, saves his life that night. But if he doesn't wake up, if his dog doesn't wake him up, and he doesn't come out, then uh, Monroe dies. You know, it's just you know one of the elements of the story. They arrive at Trenton. uh, And this is what David McCullough says. It was the size of the attack to come in in such weather that Rawl did not anticipate. And this, he was not alone. So Rawl is the, uh, the German commander at Trenton. Before departing for New York, General Howe had put James Grant in overall command of the string of outposts in New Jersey. Grant was at Brunswick, 25 miles from Trenton. On December 24th, he received certain intelligence that the rebels were planning an attack on Trenton. While he did not think the rebels would be equal to the attempt, he alerted Rawl, telling him to be on guard. Rawl received the message at 5 o'clock the afternoon of the 25th. Not long after, a dozen uh, Hessian German soldiers on guard on the Pennington Road beyond town were fired upon in the dark by an American patrol. And the patrol quickly uh, pulls back. Uh, Rawl, you know, rides out 
through the storm to look things over. And he concludes that this was the attack that he was warned about, you know, because uh, on such a night, you know, who would assume anything else is going to happen? I mean, the storm is unbelievable. Uh, later in the evening, Raul attends a small Christmas gathering at the home of a local merchant. He's playing cards when reportedly a servant interrupts to deliver still another warning message that had been delivered to the door by an unknown loyalist. And, uh, you know, Rawl is said, you know, by, you know, by people that were there, it, it said that Rawl just, you know, puts the note in his pocket. He's like, hey, there isn't anything happening tonight. You know, what was going to happen has already happened. I'm not even going to, going to deal with this. Uh, it's not known what time he returned to his quarters. Um, you know, it was said later that he had had too much to drink and he was probably not alone because, um, you know, a, a lot of the Americans believe that the Germans enjoyed celebrating pretty hard on Christmas Day, and you know, they were happy, you know, because they didn't think the Germans would would be prepared for the task. Uh, the Americans arrive late, uh, and the attack begins just after 8 o'clock. Uh, Washington's 2,400 uh, soldiers, having been on their feet all night, wet, cold, their weapons soaked, went into the fight as if everything depended on them. And it did. Uh, it was victory or death. Uh, and, and and here's what Washington would, would write later. Each man seemed to vie with the other in pressing forward. Everybody wanted to get there first. In town, the Germans came rushing out of their houses and barracks into the streets. Uh, drums beat, the band played, officers shouted orders, and as fast as they begin forming uh, into the, the road, they begin to form their columns in the middle of the road, uh, Knox set up his, 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 his cannons. And then the cannons opened fire with deadly effect, you know, 100 yards and just wiped out the street. You know, these soldiers are, are now running for their lives. Uh, Colonel Rawl who had been roused from his bed and was quickly on horseback and in command in the midst of the fray, ordered a charge. Men were being hit all around him. The line faltered. He ordered a retreat into an orchard at the southeast edge of the town. And then he too was hit and he fell from his horse, mortally wounded. He was picked up and carried into a house. Uh, the, the Germans in the orchard, you know, finding themselves surrounded, they just they laid down their arms. They said, that's it. We surrender. Uh, and it all happened in about 45 minutes. 21 Germans were killed, 90 wounded, and 900 were taken prisoner. And about 500 had escaped over the bridge, uh, which we were not able to block off. Uh, and here's what uh, McCullough says. Incredibly, in a battle of such extreme savagery, only four Americans had been wounded, including Captain Washington and Lieutenant Monroe. And not one American had been killed. No, not General Washington, by the way, a captain. Uh, not one American had been killed. The only American fatalities were the two soldiers who had frozen to death on the march. And because of that battle, because of Trenton, the the tide in the war turned. Now there were other defeats, you know, there were other, um, you know, falterings, 
but it was this 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 Christmas Day crossing of the Delaware that um, bound the men together. Uh, yeah, up to this point, hope was lost. Matter of fact, all hope was lost. But this Christmas Day miracle, where you know Washington says we're going to go after it, and his letter to Robert Morris, he says, "I'm I'm not." You know, I, I agree with you. We're not going to worry about what's happened up to this point. We're not going to focus on defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat. We're going to focus on what lies ahead, and that's victory. And and kids, friends, this is our heritage. This is our history. This is our foundation. Uh, men and women who, who while facing defeat, refused to focus on that on that defeat. They refused to dwell on it. They refused to allow that defeat to pull them into the muck and into the mire. And instead, we're going to focus on victory. We're going to focus on, on what lies ahead. This is the American spirit. This is what it means to be an American. It's our spirit. It's, it's almost our calling. Uh, we have no way around it. Uh, truly, we, we don't. This is it's in our blood. It's in our DNA. This is who we are. Uh, and I feel that way right now. I mean, we we look and we see all the all the turmoil, even just the stuff that I've talked about this week. The the seemingly detrimental things that would pull this country down. Uh, you know, if we focus on what lies ahead. If we focus on the victory that can be before us and will be before us if we if we stay true to it, uh, I, I believe there, there's nothing but success coming down the pike. Nothing but success. We're looking for it in 2024. All right. That's all the time we have for today, America. Thank you for joining me for my favorite Christmas Day story. Encourage your friends and family to get on the Dean's List. Let's unite to renovate the age. 